Well, hello, Mountain. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you. Let's give a special hello to our friends over at the Bel Air campus. Will you give a big rowdy hello to them? They love it when you do. Hello, Mountain over there at Bel Air. And Edgewood, got to remember to say hello to Edgewood. Good morning, Edgewood. They love it when you can say hello to them, and they, they appreciate that. I was over there with Edgewood last week, and they're a rowdy bunch, but they're fun to, fun to be with as well. Um, can you believe it? We are, uh, we are almost down to the finish line of our epic journey through the story, which is really this chronological survey of the whole Bible. And we're, we're working our way down now where we've come through the Old Testament, the New Testament, most of the New Testament, past Jesus into the part where, where, where we're in the story, in the, in the book of Acts is, is where we are. And in the next few weeks, we'll be finishing up. Then we have a, a, a lot of exciting stuff to come on the tail end of, of the story. But this, the, the whole story is really about God's rescue mission in a way, how He created us for Himself, and then that relationship was ruptured, and so God sets about to pull us back and draw us into a relationship with Himself, and that's really what the story is about, is God's rescue mission to pull us back to Himself. And in the Old Testament, He does it through Israel, and in the New Testament, He sends His Son, Jesus, and then when Jesus ascends back to heaven, every one of His disciples who's following Him says, oh, what are we going to do now? I mean, you're leaving, what's up? And so Jesus calls us all to get saved. Okay, here's the deal. Get this, get, get close, listen up. Here's what he says. No longer is God going to work this story through Israel. No longer is he going to work it primarily through me here in physical person. But now he says, Acts chapter 1, 8, he says, Now you, you will receive that power and you'll be my witnesses. Here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So God's mission continues on and the story continues on. It's just that it happens now through us. Let me try a joke on you here. I don't know. We'll see if you guys uh, have a good sense of humor or not. That's how I protect myself. If you don't laugh a lot, then I just say you don't have a good sense of humor. Um, did, did you hear about the joke about what Jesus did after Easter? He, he was so happy about the whole resurrection thing, and, and he and his disciples, they just decided they were going to go celebrate, so they went to a disco to try to just enjoy themselves. But Jesus was so frustrated, he just couldn't dance at all. He couldn't dance at all. And so finally, he just said... Help, I, I've risen and I can't get down. <laughs> See? That's pretty good, isn't it? Well, that's not really what happened after Easter. What happened after Easter, when Jesus rose again and was alive again in the world, is He sent out His followers to continue the same mission that He was sent to do. In fact, John 20, 21 says it this way, The Father has sent me... So I am sending you. You'll be my witnesses. You who have had your mirrors smashed by the power of God. Now go create this community called the church and live it out. You are now the body of Christ. Now the problem is that we all know that Sometimes the church today doesn't exactly look like Jesus. Sometimes the church... Has anyone ever heard of a Christian who didn't exactly look like Jesus? Anybody? Anyone ever heard of a church that didn't exactly live out the mission with the same power and compassion and strength 
that Jesus did? Well, of course we have, and this is one of the real problems. I mean, without belaboring the point, the church in America today is losing ground, losing numbers, losing favor, losing friends. We're losing our place in society. It feels like we're losing. And, and sometimes, you know, it can be, uh, you know, you ask the average person, what do you think of the church? You know, they'll, they'll say, well, it's just boring, it's irrelevant, uh, you know, the, the, it's uh, they're full of hypocrites and, and they're mean and greedy and all of this stuff. And, and is that really what Jesus had in mind when, when he said, I'm sending you? Sunday school teacher was asking uh, a little classroom of kids, you know, was saying, you know, you need to be, be, be a little quiet. Do you know why we sometimes might say it's a good idea to be quiet while you're in church? And one of the little kids said, so we don't wake people up? And that's what a lot of people think about the church, is that it's a place you go for a nap. But, and yet, when you think of Jesus, think of Jesus with me for a minute. Think of some of the traits that he possessed. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So we have to know how, how is it that Jesus was sent. And one of the things that you see about Jesus is he was unleashed, man. He was off the chain. He wasn't tied down. He, he, was, he, he woke people up. He was unleashed. When, when, when Jesus showed up, it was like God unleashed a force for good in the world, wasn't it? It was like God unleashed this power and love and this life-changing truth. You see all this stuff unleashed through Jesus and he wasn't held back. But you compare it to the church, a lot of Christians today, we act like we're leashed up, like we're on a short leash. And, and, and so we stay inside our fortresses called our church buildings. We hide behind the walls and we act shy and timid and sometimes domesticated, tame and tied up. The church too often acts like it's leashed and Jesus was unleashed. Think of another trait of Jesus. He, 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 he was unashamed. He... He was bold, he was brave, he was sometimes brash even. He confronted the status quo even though he knew it would be unpopular to do so, didn't he? he? He faced down his fears and walked to his own death, laid down his own life because he was bold and unashamed of his father of whom he said, I am his, he is mine, and, and nothing's going to stop me. He was, he was unashamed. And yet, you know, the church today, sometimes we act like we are ashamed or embarrassed so we keep quiet and keep to the side. We're maybe not sure how to act. But Jesus was unashamed. And Jesus was, Jesus was also unstoppable, wasn't he? I mean, they tried to stop him. They didn't like some of what he was doing, so they tried to stop him. I mean, they killed him. You'd think that would do it. Threw him in a hole, put a rock over the mouth of the grave. But the power of God was coursing through Jesus even when he was dead. As they say, you can't keep a good man down. And here he was, back at it again. And yet, so many Christians today are, are so easily discouraged, so easily thrown off through temptation, or we succumb to fear. We lack power to persevere, and we get these strong convictions in one moment, but then in reality, as soon as we run up against something that gets heavy or hard, we, we wilt, we peter out. But Jesus was unstoppable. So you see Jesus, you've got Jesus, he's unleashed, he's, he's unashamed, he's unstoppable. And then he says, so I am sending you and you will receive power to be my witnesses like that. 
And what he's saying is that when you know Jesus, when you welcome Jesus, when Jesus has changed your life, then those same traits are meant to describe you. And when we come to the book of Acts, that's exactly what we see. We see people like Peter and John and Paul. We're studying the life of Paul here. We're reading about him in Acts and, and the life change that happened in him and, and, the, and the books that he wrote, epistles, which are not like the... Some people thought epistles were maybe like the wives of the apostles. But no, they're, they're just words that mean letters. And in all of that, what you see is a person and a church that did look more like Jesus. And that, my friend, is what God intends to be your life story as well. So I want to talk about each of those traits today. And wherever you are in your relationship with God, whether you're just beginning that journey... Or maybe you've yet to even make that decision to follow Christ. Or maybe you're a veteran. You, you've been around for a long time. Whoever you are, these three traits that we see in Jesus are the same three traits that God intends to be part of your life. And so let's look at them one at a time and you decide if you're willing to let them become part of your life. The first, that word unleashed. Everybody say unleashed. Unleashed, right. Unleashed, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, he said, you're going to have to go. You're, he was trying to send us. Jerusalem, Judea, and everywhere. You've got to be sent. Are you sent? Do you live with the awareness that your job isn't to sort of just wait for Jesus to come and pay you visits periodically, but his, his job was to send you? talked to a guy recently who said you know I got a job a while back I was teaching some kids in a rough area and I hated it at first it was awful but I see now that God sent me to be a witness in that place that, that there's someone who said you know I feel like God was pushing me to sign up for a mission trip and right now you know where they are they're with a group of mountain people down in the Dominican Republic this weekend I have some friends who are inviting neighbors over to a Memorial Day cookout because they're friends that, that they don't really know much about Jesus at all, don't go to any church, but they think we can just be friends with them. We're going to invite them over to our house and have a cookout on Memorial Day weekend. And that's a snapshot of what it can mean to be sent. But you can't do any of that if you're on a leash, if you're all leashed up. When Jesus calls you, He doesn't call you so you can cuddle with Him. He calls you so He can send you out. He wants to fill you up so He can send you out. John 20, 21, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Let's try something fun right now, okay? I'm going to try a little fun little exercise. Can I give you a, a little quiz, see how you do on something? Would you, would you take a quiz with me? Okay, so if you've got a phone, get out a clean, clean thing you can type on or a piece of paper or an iPad or whatever. Get out, get out your phone so you can write down and I'm going to see how you do on, on this quiz here. Okay, are you ready? Um, let's start number one. Jesus called a special small group of followers. What were they called? Go ahead and you can call this one out loud. Disciples, what's another word for them? Apostles, good. Ding, 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 you did well, all right. How, uh, how many of them were there at first? Twelve. Good. Now let's pretend that you're on Jeopardy and Alex Trebek says, good, you get the bonus, you know. Uh, how many of the twelve apostles can you name? Go ahead and do your best. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to write down uh, as many of the names of any of the apostles you might know. Go ahead and see if you can name all twelve. 
we'll see how you do. How you coming? Aren't you glad this isn't an entry exam for heaven? I'll give you 10 more seconds because you know this so well. I'm sure you have all these memories. All right, time's up. I said time's up. Oops. Stop. How do I stop this? I guess you're going to have to listen to it for the rest of this. Okay, there we go. I, I, bet, I bet we struggle with that. How many of you got all 12 right, do you think? You got 12 names there? I don't see a lot of hands. Okay, I'm sure over at Bel Air campus they all got it right. All right, so here's Mark chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to, the, to him those he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12, designating them what? Apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. In other words, to speak God's love and to show God's compassion. And then, okay, now check your work. See how many you got right. Add the ones you might have missed. Here we go, verse 16, and these are the 12. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Peter might have been the one that some of us got. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip... Bartholomew, I'm hearing a lot of, oh yeah, that guy, that guy. Matthew, Thomas, there's another James in there. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. I'm just guessing that we didn't have very many people that got them all right, that remembered the names of all 12 apostles. You know, we, I did this with the staff and uh, all the pastors in the room, and there was only one guy in the room that got it all right. I'm not telling you who it was, and it wasn't me. <laughs> I want to tell you a couple things about, about all this first, just a second. First thing, the word apostle. The word apostle. In the ancient world, it really was a common word. It wasn't a religious word at all. It wasn't like a religious -y kind of designation. It was just a word that means someone who's sent. It was used to refer to someone who had a, like an ambassador who would have a message to deliver on behalf of a leader. Or it could mean um, a sailor who was sent to deliver the freight for someone else. Or it could mean a soldier who was sent on a mission, a special operative mission of some kind. And, and that, that's what the word means when you come to the book of Acts and you talk about Paul. Paul and the book of Acts, they use the word 68 times to refer to people who are sent by Jesus with a mission, with a message, with a battle to fight, with some freight to deliver. That's what the word really means. And you know, it's not surprising to me that we don't even remember the names of all 12 of those first apostles. But yet they were so critical to what goes on. It's not important anyone remember your name. What's important is that they remember the name of the one who sends you on your mission. Jesus used a common word, apostle, sent. And he used common people, apostles, whose names we don't even remember. But he sent them out to love God, love people, and serve the world. And that, that movement then began to spread. And, and the name, the, the designation apostle began to apply to more people than the first 12. Eventually, we see that Paul, who wasn't part of the first 12, becomes 
someone who's called an apostle, and then another guy, Andronicus, and, and, and then James, and this woman, Junia. There's lots of different apostles, and eventually, you know what happens in the Bible? Eventually, every single person who follows Jesus is called one of the sent ones, is called an apostle. So if you're writing a list there, and let's say you've got a couple of names there, the most important name that you need to put on that list is your own. If you love Jesus, you want to be a Christian, then you need to know you're an apostle. You're sent to show the same thing they were, to show and to tell about Jesus. So are you unleashed? Are you sent? If there's someone in your life who is far from God, doesn't know Jesus or have a relationship with Him, but does have a relationship with you, that might be someone you're sent to. I don't know where you might be sent to, but there's probably some place. This is what I love about Servefest, is it gives us an opportunity to show that the church is not a, a gathering. It gives us a chance to get out of the building, out of our church clothes, out of our, out of our little routines, out of our comfort zone, and get out and just get our hands dirty and serve. Last weekend was Surfest. I hope a lot of you participated. It was a tremendous event. We got a short video to celebrate the unleashing of the church. Take a look and see what happened. Rick Decker. I am the Vice President of Friends of Jerusalem Mill. We're an all-volunteer organization that is working with the Maryland Park Service to preserve and restore a historical village. This is a very unique location. It has been uh, in a, a multi-industrial village for over 200 years and it is largely intact. Eleven of the twelve buildings which are on a national register are still, that were on the census in 1810, are still here today. This is uh, historical land. It is on the National Register. Uh, there is a number of buildings here that have had to be completely rebuilt. It takes a village to maintain a village and we have over 20 different activities being done today. Friends of Jerusalem Mill rely on the citizens and the community support in Mount Christian Church to, to do the work necessary to make sure that we preserve this history. This is absolutely the best part of my life. Uh, to work with the volunteers um, and, uh, of all ages, of all backgrounds. Thank you very much for coming every second Saturday. Thank you for embracing what we do, and thank you for helping us preserve this village. Hi, I'm Debbie Blackwell. I'm the executive director and founder of Peaceful Waters. This is a faith-based recovery home for women dealing with drug and alcohol addiction. We have served over 150 women in the community, not only from Edgewood, but throughout Harford County. Today's project is to help us clean our basement. We had some floods damage due to the bad weather. All the snow melted and the water had nowhere to go. So a lot of our items that were down there got damaged. So today's project is to get the items out so that we can get the basement fixed and use it for our gym. The house, is, the house here is very important to our mission because it's the, it becomes a residence. It becomes the home for the women who sometimes have nowhere, nowhere else to go. 
Um, sometimes they've been homeless and end up coming here or their family has uh, rejected them. So this becomes their home, so it's very important. Today's project is very valuable to us. If we didn't have the volunteers coming from Surfest, this project would be left up to the women and myself to try to get done, and it would take probably weeks for us to get the things out that we've been able to get out today. I'd like to say thank you, Surfest. This has been a wonderful project today. We got so much done. I'm so excited, and the ladies and I really appreciate it. God bless you all for coming out. Thank you. My name is Henry Harris. I'm the branch director for the Edgewood. Uh, Boys and Girls Club here in Hartford County. We're here at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, some of the needs we meet are providing a safe place for kids to come after school during that crucial time of 2.30 to 8 o'clock. While they're here, they can engage in everything from academics to sports and fitness. We try to provide, you know, um, viable things for them to do while they're here in hopes that might be something they could take to as a career in the future. Dreams I have for the kids here, I want them to try to develop uh, you know, what they want to do in life um, and be productive and, you know, for them to be happy when they're in a safe, fun, uh, beautiful place. Um, they feel better about themselves and uh, they appreciate where they're at. And Surfest have definitely done a lot to help us um, in that regard. Surfest has beautified our grounds, beautified the inside of our buildings, help us put stuff in safe areas so the kids First of all, benefits from that. Boys and Girls Club, also, we benefit from it because we have people like you that are willing to come in and do this, you know, out of the generosity of your hearts. I definitely, you know, encourage you to keep doing what you're doing, um, not only here, but everywhere else in the community that you go and serve. I know the organization thanks you and appreciate everything you've done for us. And the kids thank you. And I thank you. Just three of the dozens and dozens of projects. And can I just remind us that we don't need a special day to, to serve, to be unleashed, do we? I just want to encourage you to not live your life like you're leashed up and held back and timid and shy, but to live your life unleashed for Jesus. To be able to say with the prophet Isaiah, Here I am, Lord, send me. I know I'm one of your sent ones. Where do you want me to go? This is true of Jesus. He was unleashed. This is true of Paul. He was unleashed. It's true of the early church. It's meant to be true of you. Here's a second trait. Beyond unleashed, the thing we see about all these folk and is meant to be true of you also is, that, is this word unashamed. Everybody say unashamed. Unashamed. Absolutely. No shame, embarrassment, timidity, caution. Instead, what you see is boldness. Boldness, right? When you look at the early church, I can just see Paul standing up, chest out a little bit, you know, chin up a little bit when he says, you know what, Romans 1.16, you know what, I'm not, what's the word? I'm not ashamed of, of this good news about Christ. It's the power that we're talking about. It's the power of God at work. Uh, you know, he, he saw the power at work in his life. He saw it change him. He, he, saw it, he saw it so powerfully lead him out of a world of dead religion into a living relationship with Christ. And so he says, I'm not ashamed of that at all. And I believe it can save everyone else who believes too. First the Jew, then also the Gentile. This is what you see all the way through the book of Acts, not just with this guy. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the what? Boldness of Peter. And John, because they could see that they were just ordinary men without any special training in the scriptures, but they also recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is the key to our boldness. When Christ is in you and with you, 
Man, I'll tell you, it makes you realize that, man, I don't have anything to be ashamed of here. I, I, I've, got, I've got to be bold about this. Acts chapter 19, it's Apostle Paul. It says he went to the synagogue and he preached boldly. Acts chapter 26, he's before King Agrippa and he says, I'm going to speak boldly. Over in Iconium, Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. And he confirmed their message by enabling them to do many miraculous signs and wonders. Acts chapter 20, the Holy Spirit keeps telling Paul in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Not a real exciting prospect but he says my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus I'm, I'm not ashamed to tell you I, I'm going to be bold I'm going to tell others about the good news of the wonderful grace let me ask you a question would people who know you would, would anyone describe you and the way you live out your faith as bold? Are you bold? Or are you timid or shy, lukewarmish, concerned for safety and security and acceptance? Are you bold? Now, bold doesn't mean you're going to be obnoxious. Bold isn't abrasive. Bold isn't stupid or repulsive or offensive or arrogant. You can be gentle, wise, and bold. But we need to be unashamed. Some time ago, I heard a very, what to me was a very powerful statement about the fellowship of the unashamed. And I dug it out, and I kind of rewrote some of it, adapted it, and I'd like to share it with you now as an opportunity for you to say, yes, I want to be unashamed for God. I want to stand up and stand out as an unleashed, unashamed follower of His. So I'm going to invite you right now, if you would, to stand. And you just take this however you want. But if this is speaking to you, I pray that this will be something that will be st a statement you're going to make before God and in your own heart and to the world about who you are. Are you ready? Here we go. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The decision has been made, there's a line that has been drawn and I have stepped over it. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense and my future is secure and solid in God's hands. And I am finished with stupid living, selfish giving, shallow prayers, phony fellowship and halfway devotion. I'm done with safe planning, doing the bare minimum, smooth knees, timid dreams, tame visions, lame divisions, empty talking and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, best, recognized or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on Christ's presence. I love with patience. I live by prayer and I labor with the power of God's grace. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough and my companions are few. But my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought. I cannot be compromised, detoured, detained, 
deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not falter before the threat of persecution. I will not hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Capitulate at the pool of popularity or fluctuate in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up or slow up until I have stayed up, prayed up, paid up and spoken up for the cause of the one who loved me and gave up his life for me. I am a disciple of Jesus. I will love God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. I will love people the way Jesus did and I will serve the world with all I've got. I will go until he comes. I will give until, he dro- until I drop and I will pour myself out and I will speak until everyone hears. And when he returns for his own, he won't have any trouble recognizing me. Because when Jesus comes, I won't be sad and I won't be sorry and I won't be slow to fly to him because I'll be ready to go home. Because my sin is great, but his grace is greater. My mistakes are many, but his forgiveness is mightier. My past is ugly, but my future is beautiful because my heart is his. My passion is is His. My mission is His. My hope is His. My joy is His. My peace is His. My life is His. I am a disciple of Jesus. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And I invite you to join me in saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. How about someone giving me a good old-fashioned amen or hand clap if you believe any of that? Whatever you want to say about the early church and Jesus and Paul, you've got to say they were unleashed and they were sent and they knew it. And they were unashamed. They were bold. And that's what you're called to be as well. Go ahead and have a seat, if you will. Because I want to tell you about one more, one more trait that you're called to. One more trait that I'm called to. One more trait that too often does not describe us but did describe Jesus, Paul, in the early church. And it's the word unstoppable. Say that word with me. Unstoppable. It's just a powerful word, isn't it, when you hear that word. Unstoppable. It kind of just says we're going to power through. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were unleashed and sent out. And it says in verse 16 that all these crowds were gathering and lives were being changed. Good things were happening, but the religious officials, they got jealous. They got threatened by the status quo. And, And so... They basically grabbed those disciples and threw them in jail. And they said, stop, enough. And so we begin to see this press back against the faith. Begin to see persecution, some problems, some pressure and punishment. Makes you want to ask yourself, you know, if it was illegal for me to even mention the word Jesus, would I ever do it? If it was going to make me wildly unpopular or land me in jail, what what would happen to my faith? And my witness. God didn't want the mission to stop. So he sends an angel. Shows up. And the Lord, it says, the Lord opened the doors of the jail and snuck out those guys right past the sleeping uh, uh, guards there and so forth. Sometimes God's got to open a door for you. And he does. Verse 20, the angel, God says to to the angel, to these guys, he says, I don't want this mission to stop. He says, go And you stand right back there in the temple courts where you were and you tell the people the full message of this new life. 
Don't forget, you're unleashed. So, and that word stand, it kind of speaks of a decisiveness, doesn't it? A kind of moment where you're going to take your stand. He didn't say go and loiter and hang out. He said, no, no, no. It doesn't matter that you've got a police record now. It doesn't matter that, that, they're, that they're putting a little resistance. You, you, you go and you, you don't let that stop you. You stand firm. Be strong. Let nothing move you. Don't quit. Because if God... Friend, listen... If God is telling you to do something and God is with you, then you are unstoppable. With that kind of a God, you can storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. The Bible says that the gates of hell won't stand against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, he's trying to say the church is unstoppable. And you are unstoppable. You're not just unleashed to go out and fend for yourself. You will be my witnesses. You'll receive the same power that Jesus had. If God's telling you to do it, you're unstoppable. So don't let the fact that it's hard stop you. Don't let the fact that it's heavy to lift stop you. And God has thrown open doors of prison cells all the time. Whatever prison doors of fear and captivity are holding you back from serving or sharing or saying or walking in the Spirit, God's thrown those doors open, hoping you'll recognize that you also are unstoppable. That's what happened with these guys. In, 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 in chapter 5, verse 21, at daybreak, these guys are right back there in the temple courts just as they'd been told. If God tells you to do something, go do it. That's how you get unstoppable. And they began to teach the people. And the officials, they get up in the morning and they say, well, we took care of those guys. And then they go and they look in the jail cell. No one's there. And they say, where are they? Where are they? And, and a couple of people go, <clears throat> look over there. And there they are. And they look in verse 28 and they're just flummoxed about this. They says, we gave you strict orders to not to stop, to stop teaching. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Verse 29, I love their answer. Peter and John replied, you're not the boss of me. That's what they said. We must obey God rather than people like you. When Jesus is the boss of you, if He's really your Lord, then you're unstoppable. So just because you fellows don't like it, just because you disagree, just because you threaten us to demote us or punish us, you know, it's not like we're going to stop. And verse 42 says, Day after day, in the temple courts, from house to house, everywhere they went, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. They were, they were unleashed, weren't they? <laughs> they were off the chain. And they weren't ashamed, they were bold, and they were unstoppable. Does that describe you? The Apostle Paul. We're talking about Paul here. They say, Paul lists some of the challenges he faced along the way. This dude, think of the life this guy had. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, good grief. He'd been in prison more frequently. He's flogged, he says. He'd been exposed to death five times. He received 40 lashes minus one. Three times beaten with rods. One time he was stoned and left for dead. Three shipwrecks. He hungry, cold, naked. Put out. I'd be saying like, I don't need this stuff. I'm getting too old for this stuff. But he didn't quit. And I hope you don't either. I hope you don't either. Moms, I hope you don't quit. Dads, husbands, Students, I hope you don't quit. Because that's what the power of God is meant to be in our life. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. The last verse, the very last verse of the book of Acts. The last word in the last verse is the word unhindered. It says in your English translations, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ 
And in the Greek, the last word is unhindered. The word went on. The mission went on. God gets the last word because the church is unstoppable. Now, friends, let's be honest. Sometimes we don't feel very powerful. We don't feel very unstoppable, do we? When you start looking at the world and you start looking at the problems and global poverty and all the needs and kids on drugs and our own families and the things that are just in my own life that I can't seem to do anything about, this power from on high seems distant and difficult. A lot of times, if we're just honest, we probably feel more like Clark Kent. <laughs> Remember Clark Kent, right? I know Spider-Man's out this weekend and Star Wars Day is tomorrow, but let's talk about Superman for a second. Clark Kent, he was just that weak, little, little feeble newspaper reporter, doesn't, didn't look like much, you know, bumbling idiot. Lois Lane couldn't stand him. Perry White had no use for him. Jimmy Olsen made fun of him. Remember, remember Clark Kent? You ever feel like Clark Kent up against the world? And then all the evil forces of the metropolis would wreak havoc on the lives of the people in the city. The Daily Planet would catch the news and, and then this story, someone would say, man, we're really in trouble. And they'd say, hey, where is where's Superman? <clears throat> Clark Kent would hear about it and where would he go? Into the nearest phone booth. Into the nearest phone booth. That's where he'd go. Someone explained to the kids what a phone booth is when phones had cords and these little boxes on the street. And he'd go in there, a little three-foot room, and, 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 and he'd say to himself, somebody has to do something about it. But Clark Kent, he can't do anything. You know what? But he'd dive into that phone booth and he'd come out of there wearing that red and blue tights, which is a fashion statement I wouldn't recommend most guys, but it worked pretty well for him. And he, it's like he wasn't even Clark Kent anymore. He was totally different. It was like he was a new creation, if you will. Because now he was Superman. He was faster than a speeding. He, he, he was more powerful than a... And he could leap tall buildings with a single bound. He, he, this, this guy, they'd say, look, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's... Because he was amazing. And the city was different when he showed up. Broken things got fixed. Evil got pushed back. Bad guys got put in their place and good started to prevail again. You see where I'm going with this? Things got put to the right. He lifted up the oppressed and he rescued children. He helped people in distress. He did the right thing. And it was like this big force of good was unleashed in the world again. And the story changed. How could he do all that? Because he wasn't from here. He was from another place, Krypton. And he brought the power of that sphere down to this sphere. And when you bring the power of that sphere down to this sphere, well, then this sphere starts to look a little more like that sphere on earth as it is in Krypton. Right? And that's what happened. He was able to change the world. Friends, what I'm telling you, you already know. Wherever you are at this very moment, you, you just stepped into God's telephone booth. That's where you are at this moment. Because you, and you enter as an ordinary, average, weakling, Clark Kentish human being who together, even with some of your best friends, cannot band together and change the world. You can't change a single human heart. You can't change the whole world. There's not enough energy, time, skills, or power amongst us just as our human selves. But in God's phone booth, you become a person through whom the power up there comes and flows through. You become something as a new creation that you were not in yourself. That's what the book of Acts is describing. People who were ordinary people who'd been with Jesus, who were then sent out, unheroic nobodies, 
now super people in their high schools and in their workplaces and in their neighborhoods, apostles who were sent, unleashed, unashamed, and unstoppable. And friends, when you walk out of here today, just go ahead and just show the world you've got a big red S on your T-shirt. And that S doesn't stand for superwoman or superman. It stands for saved by Jesus, sent by Jesus. The Spirit of God is in me. I'm a special agent. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you just do one little thing at a time. Talk to someone. Share the love of Jesus quietly and boldly and bravely. Go to Celebrate Recovery and help there. Sponsor a child. Tutor a kid. Volunteer with our student ministry. Put on a blue jumpsuit if you have to. Just remember this. Jesus was unleashed. He was unashamed. And He was unstoppable. And He says, you and I, we are too. And I hope that you will be. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for sending us within a great mission that makes our lives so much larger than they are on our own. And we ask you now to send us with your power. Help us to remember that we are sent. Help us to be bold. Help us to remember that you are unstoppable. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.